When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, believers, non-believers, and everyone in between. You're listening to Stories with Sapphire. I am Sapphire Sandalo. Now get cozy and open your mind because it's story time. My sister Sabrina was staying at my old apartment for the weekend a few months ago. On her last night there, I slept in the living room with her so we could fall asleep to the TV together. The two couches in my living room were positioned like an L. I was on one couch, my sister on the other, our heads both at the point of the L. I woke up in the middle of the night to a voice. It was my sister. Sissy, wake up, sissy. I can't sleep. Wake up. I sleep with an eye mask, so when I opened my eyes, I couldn't see much. But when I strained my eyes downward, I saw that the living room light was on. And through that crack, I also saw my sister's legs facing me, standing near my feet at the edge of the couch. She continued to call for me to wake up, but I was so exhausted that I didn't respond and just fell back asleep. When my sister woke up the next morning, I asked her, Did you get up in the middle of the night? She said no. But I saw you, I insisted. The lights were on. You were asking me to wake up because you couldn't sleep. She insisted that she did not. I have a tendency to have very vivid dreams that feel as though I'm awake because everything in it is exactly as it is in real life. I would have bet my life that it was not a dream. But if Sabrina said she didn't get up, then I was wrong. That's what I decided to tell myself. Then, a month or so later, my cousin slept over. My husband was out of town for the weekend, and I was spooking myself out and wanted extra company. I slept in the living room with her, but this time, I slept on the other couch. And my cousin was on the couch where I had my dream, sleeping in the same direction I had been sleeping. That morning when we woke up, she turned to me and asked, Did you get up in the middle of the night? My heart sank. This was too familiar. I said, No. Why? What happened? Even though a part of me felt like I already knew. She told me that she woke up in the middle of the night and saw a dark silhouette walking towards the bathroom. All the lights were off, but she thought it was me. It was my height and shape and everything. She looked at her tiny dog laying next to her and noticed that her ears were perked, and she was watching the figure, too. The weirdest part to me is that where my cousin saw the figure was exactly where I saw what I thought was my sister. Was there something in my apartment mimicking us? It's hard to tell what's real or not when it's the middle of the night and you're half asleep. 
But in the stories you'll hear today, these people did not have the luxury of blaming it on a dream. Today's episode is all about doppelgangers and people who should not be there. First, I narrate the encounter of a young woman seeing double at her college dorm. Then, I read the experience of a student working on a group project with some extra help. Next, I speak with Natalie about the figure she saw in her dining room. And finally, I tell the tale of a group of kids who couldn't figure out why their friend was acting so aloof. Chapter 1. Not My Roommates. Submitted by Mina. Hi at the Sapphire. I just finished listening to the Glitch in the Matrix episode, and I must say, I have a very similar experience as well. It happened, like, way back in 2015, when I was a college freshman. Here in the Philippines, apartments that are near universities are most commonly converted into bed space and are often rented out to college students. So my friends and I decided to rent a room that had six beds. It was commonly called a dorm since all of us who lived there were college students. Anyway, our room was near the end of a hallway, and before you entered the room, you could see a bathroom to your left at the very end of the hall. We also had our own bathroom inside our room as well. It's important to know the setup of the bathroom. When you walk in, there is a door to the left that contains the shower. In front of you is the sink and mirror. To the right of that is our lockers, and to the far right is another door that contains the toilet. So the weirdness happened to me multiple times. The first time was on a Thursday afternoon. I just finished my last class and decided to go back to our dorm to take a nap. I was the first one to arrive in our room, so I was contemplating whether to shower or just wash my face and wipe my body. I settled for the latter. While putting on some foam cleanser at the sink, I saw in the mirror reflection one of my roommates, let's call her M, come into the bedroom and greet me. Oi, Mina. You're early, I replied. Is A not with you? A is our other roommate. I thought it was weird since they're classmates and always come home together. M didn't reply. She just tossed her bag on the bed that created a loud thud and walked right behind me and straight to the toilet and slammed the door with a loud bang. I figured she was in a bad mood, and so I called out through the door, tell me when you're finished, I have to get my toiletries, I think I left them in there. After rinsing off my face, I sat on my bed, scrolling through my phone, waiting for M. Five, ten, fifteen minutes had gone by. I realized M had still not come out. I was starting to get annoyed. I stood up and walked to the toilet door, and just as I was about to knock, I realized the door was ajar. Alarms started ringing inside my head. Maybe she was unconscious or not feeling well. I said, I'm coming in, are you okay? I became concerned that something might have happened to her. But when I opened the door, there was no one in there. It's a tiny room. There isn't many places she could hide. Where did she go? As I was trying to understand what just happened, I heard footsteps and voices in the hallway. Then, M and A walked into our room. So who the hell was in the bathroom with me? 
The second time something like this happened was when I woke up at 3.13 a.m. because I heard my other roommate, R, stand up and go to the toilet in the hallway. She didn't turn on any lights, which was strange. It was practically pitch black, but I could see her silhouette climbing down her bed and walking towards the darkness. I don't know why, but I just felt like I needed to wake up. When I lifted my phone to flash my lights to her way, all the lights in that hallway turned on. The faucet, the shower, and the toilet simultaneously turned on, and it almost flooded the hallway. I sprinted towards the hallway to turn everything off, expecting to see R, but when I passed her bed, I saw her sleeping soundly. I still have no idea what to make of all of this. There are a couple details about this particular building that I believe are making it conducive for paranormal activity. First, there's a Filipino superstition that if two doors are directly facing each other, it can attract rogue spirits and bad luck. Doors are thought to be portals where spirits can enter our world, so the doors are sort of creating this circle of energy. Each floor probably had a similar layout, so there might have been multiple high-energy spots in this building. Then, there's the fact that it's a dorm filled with college students. Students experiencing a lot of stress and heightened emotions file in and out every year, leaving behind all this energetic residue, which can lead to strange things happening, like seeing someone's doppelganger. There is also a theory that seeing doppelgangers implies the existence of parallel universes. When we see someone's exact double, we are momentarily looking into an alternate reality version of them, blending into ours. It's not surprising that Mina would have these experiences in a place like this. And I'm sure there were other students who experienced similar things as well. Chapter 2. Not My Friend. Submitted by Francis. This story begins when me and my friends had a daunting group project for finals that was going to take several days to finish. On the first day, we shopped for materials and took the project to my friend Anne's place. We were going to be working all through the night, so we had planned to sleep over. Our group was composed of six people total, three boys, including me, and three girls. At first, it was only five of us at Anne's place. We had done all the sewing and cutting from morning until afternoon. The last member of our group, Laika, had been doing her portion at her place and was going to join up with us later. We had all been working hard all day and took a dinner break. It was around 7.30 or 8.30 p.m. at this time, and it was time to pick up Laika so she could join us at Anne's. I volunteered to get her and took off on my friend's motorcycle. The route to Laika's house was a bit uneven, as Anne lived in a residential area outside the city. Progressing near the city, pavement became part of the route, so it became much easier to drive on. I reached Laika's house, and she let me in. I sat in the living room and waited for her as she gathered everything she needed. She had a large fabric bag that contained two pillows and sewing materials. Not a whole lot of stuff that would add much weight to the bike. I am very experienced driving a motorcycle, however, I can only carry a passenger that is just as heavy as me. 
and Leica was around my weight, so I figured we'd be good to go. I brought the cycle to life and told her to hop on. It was at that moment that I felt something odd. The bike felt much heavier than what Leica weighed. I had driven with her in the back before, and it was fine. But this felt different, and I felt a peculiar extra weight on my shoulders. I turned around and asked Leica if I could feel her bag. It was incredibly light. There was no way it would have made that significant of a difference. I figured maybe I just wasn't used to this bike, as it was my friend's. And we took off. On the way back to Anne's, I had a bit of trouble balancing. It felt almost as if something had been trying to disrupt my steering. I kept calm and decided to drive at a controllable speed so I could quickly react if something was to happen while I was driving. I joked about it to ease my mind. I kept telling Leica that she should let her extra passenger hop off. She just told me to shut up and pay attention to the road. When we arrived at Anne's, the strange weight seemed to have instantaneously vanished and I felt lighter. I know this sounds weird, but it felt as though I had been through several hours of grief and had just resurfaced grief-free and had found myself this moving on and forward through life kind of feeling. I don't know, it's hard to explain. And then we walked into Anne's living room and suddenly I felt very claustrophobic. Why is it so packed in here? I said out loud. All my friends looked at me, confused. I looked around and realized there were only five people in the room. Michelle, one of our project mates, had to leave while I was picking up Leica. But to me, it felt like when you're at a packed public space, like in a stadium or concert, like you can feel everyone's presence. It was hot and thick. It just felt crowded in that room. I tried to ignore it and redirected my focus to the project. We didn't stop working until it was right before dawn. Everyone else had gone to sleep in the living room, but I couldn't manage to fall asleep, so I stayed up playing an online game. After several hours had gone by and everyone had awoken, we got right back to it and finalized the project. In my tired haze, I let it slip that I had felt this strange extra weight the previous night. I and everyone else laughed it off in our collective loopiness. Except for Anne. Actually, she said, something happened to me last night too. She said she had woken suddenly. Groggily, she glanced around the room at everyone else. Two boys on the couch, me playing on my phone in a chair in the corner, and two girls spooning on the mattress on the floor. I don't get it. What's your point? Greg, one of the boys, asked. Michelle didn't sleep over last night, remember? Anne said. So I don't know who was spooning with Leica on the mattress. What? I thought that was you, Annie, Leica exclaimed. We all looked back at the mattress. To this day, I still do not know what exactly happened. I'm starting to believe that I may actually have picked up an extra passenger who then slept with the rest of the group that night. Stories where people realize after the fact that there was an extra person really get under my skin. There is a scientific reason for why we don't always notice things out of the ordinary in the moment. 
It's called selective attention. And considering how focused Francis and his schoolmates were on the project, I'm not surprised that they didn't see this extra person sooner. Luckily, this guest didn't seem to want to cause any harm. But in the future, that might not be the case. When you consider how many distractions we have in our modern world, how many extra passengers do you think you carry around every day without noticing? The stories continue after the break. Before I became a podcaster and paranormal investigator, I used to be a full-time animator and character designer, and podcasts kept me company while I drew, especially paranormal podcasts. One of my favorites was Jim Harold's Campfire. I would actually be shocked if you hadn't heard of it because it's one of the OGs. In fact, it recently celebrated its 13th anniversary. But if you haven't heard of it, it's a call-in show where ordinary people share their extraordinary stories with Jim every week. The story topics range from ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, and stories that can't be categorized. You're listening to my show right now, so I know that you love non-fictional paranormal stories. Stories involving the serial killer Ted Bundy, or a man who owned a haunted hotel. And also heartwarming stories of deceased loved ones coming back to say hello. Jim Harold's Campfire was a huge inspiration for me. So do me a personal favor and tune in to Jim Harold's Campfire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Stories with Sapphire. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And now, the stories continue. Chapter 3. Not My Dad. So, I'm Natalie. I've had a lot of... Um, weird things happen to me growing up. I guess people would call it mediumship. I'm a little bit skeptical about the things I've gone through, but I think after having an accumulation of spirit communication, I'm starting to just wonder <laughs> about all, all this stuff. So I'm kind of just like trying to actually research and look into this. This is actually the creepiest one of all the stories I kind of have floating in my head. So my uncle's house we all agree is really haunted. So my aunt passed away while we lived with him. And it, it was like health reasons. So it was kind of a slow process, but um, she passed away kind of out of my memory. I was like probably two, because I was like able to walk around. <laughs> I was like toddler age. Um, basically, one day my babysitter ran out of the house holding me in her arms. And what she said was she saw me playing with someone she didn't know in my room. So um, that was also not the first time she saw something like that. Basically, she's like, I feel like your daughter is having conversations with someone in the house. Someone's sitting in this room. I go back there. They're not there. I don't know who this person is. Like, I don't know what's going on. But she eventually quit because she's like, this is super creepy. I think she caught on. Like, I think she caught on that there was like something else going on. After we moved out of 
my uncle's house, my parents actually got a priest to bless our next house. So whatever the heck was in the previous house didn't follow us. Whatever was in their home before may not have followed them, but that didn't stop Natalie from seeing something else. I was probably like, I was like grade eight or grade nine. I kept having this reoccurring dream that I would miss the first week of school. And it happened like every single night over the summer. And I actually made it to school. Like I didn't actually miss my first week of school. But maybe a week or two after my first week of school, my grandpa passed away. So we went to his funeral. Like nothing out of the ordinary happened besides that dream. And I I just was like, huh, that's weird. One other note, me and my grandpa, I didn't actually get to know him that well. Last time I ever really talked to my grandpa, I was probably like six or seven. And then I just never had like deep contact with him. So like I wasn't like I wouldn't say I wasn't grieving, but it wasn't as hard as like, say, my dad or my mom. So when we came home, I remember one morning, like I got up in the morning just to do my routine. I I have a routine between me and my dad is we just have breakfast all the time. And we wake up before everyone else, before my mom and my sister. So like nothing was out of the ordinary. I went down the hall and I need, I need to describe the hall a little bit as I go through it. So basically in the hall, the bathroom's on the left and there's a mirror just right by the bathroom door that if you look into it, you can see the dining room. So I looked into the mirror and I, I saw my dad sitting there and I said, good morning. I went into the bathroom, just was getting ready and I asked him a few questions and he didn't answer. So I went outside, I looked into the mirror and I asked him again because I saw him sitting there. And then because he wasn't answering and not moving, like at that point I noticed the thing in the mirror didn't actually look like my dad. So I turned around, I looked into the living room and there's no one there. It was empty. And I didn't actually know what to do at first because like there's a sensation between panic and verification. So I actually went over to my parents' room and my mom and my dad were asleep. And I just crawled back into my bed and I didn't actually tell anybody this until like a week later because I just, I just didn't, <laughs> I didn't know what, I, I, I tried to like ask people like, have you ever had an experience like this? And like my rational brain at the time was like, oh, you know, everyone's stressed out in your family. Everyone's just experiencing grief right now. This is why you, you, you saw that. But then I, I don't know, recently, like someone was trying to tell me about this concept of like shadow people. And I was like, Did, was that my first shadow person? <laughs> At first, I guess I should have cued into this. There was a little, a little bit of creepiness. When I think back, it was just that it happened in such a mundane setting that I didn't question it. So the figure was actually kind of like leaning forward on their two like elbows and just like looking down at the table. And originally I just thought maybe my dad's reading the newspaper or he's looking at something. So I didn't actually think deeply about it. But the second time I looked when he wasn't answering, I just couldn't discern a face. Like I couldn't really, like I couldn't, that's the moment of panic where I was like, is that actually my dad? You know, like like looking over because the face was down. So I can't say that they had like no face, but I just, it was a little hard for me to see. Natalie saw this vague human in a mirror, which are thought to be portals through which spirits can enter. I wonder if Natalie actually wasn't seeing a reflection of something physical in her dining room, but was actually peering into another dimension for a brief moment. 
One theory about shadow people is that they are interdimensional beings, traveling between different timelines. Maybe she was seeing an imprint of her dad from a time when he was sitting at the table. So I actually told my dad first, because I feel like my dad, out of everyone, they're all pretty open-minded, but my dad is really receptive. So, like, he's just very like, oh, yeah, okay, tell me more. <laughs> so he's, I guess, encouraging. Um, so when I told him that, his explanation was like, oh, that's probably Grandpa coming to say goodbye to you. Basically, the whole family is scattered throughout the world. So my personal interpretations of it was he was just kind of doing the rounds and trying to say goodbye to all of us because there was no possible way we could have all gone to go see him before he passed or that I just chalked that experience up to my grandpa just trying to say farewell whether natalie saw her grandpa or some interdimensional being or something we haven't even considered that moment ended up being very special for her and her dad's relationship but that was actually the first time my dad started to kind of ask me more questions. Like, I think at that point, for the rest of my life, if someone passed away or if something happened, he'd be like, did you experience anything? Before that, I would never got that question. But after, actually after that, he's actually been the person who really checks in on me if, if something happens. Because he's like, like, I think a little part of him has actually accepted. He's like, she's more sensitive about this. Maybe she's experienced something. And I find that actually really cool. Because, you know, like, He's a little bit old school, you know, like sometimes he's not always that open to new ideas. But in terms of like that moment, that actually kind of made us bond in this weird way. <laughs> Chapter four, Not Ellie, submitted by Jay. To preface this, there are a couple things you should know. The school system in my country is different from the ones in the U.S. Here, instead of students going to classes according to their schedule, the students are divided up into different classes at the beginning of the year, where the teachers are the ones who go to different classes according to the schedule. Because of that, if you're not in the same class as your friends, you will rarely see them. The only times are in the morning before class and during two recess periods. So the story begins with my friend, Ellie. She was one of the unfortunate students who didn't have a friend in the same class as her. Because of this, the rest of the friends in our friend group usually take extra care to catch up in the morning or during recess. The incident I'm about to tell you happened on a random school day. I arrived at school to see my friends gathering in our usual spot in the hallway, talking to one another. I saw Ellie and my friend Chrissy talking about something that seemed interesting. Well, at least Chrissy thought so. Ellie stayed quiet, as if she wasn't really hearing a word that Chrissy said. The ordeal didn't last long before the bell rang and we were ushered to class. I recall being perplexed by Ellie's behavior. Although I only saw seconds of their conversation, it was so out of character for Ellie to not laugh, at least to be polite, when being told a story. I didn't give it that much thought before continuing with my day. Later that morning, during third period, my class had computer studies in the second floor computer room. My class lined up in front of the room, taking turns taking off our shoes before entering. I was at the back of the line, bored, looking down from the balcony when I saw Ellie and her class walking towards the field, presumably for PE. Seeing this, I shouted hello at her, expecting her to look up and acknowledge me. She didn't, 
Instead, she looked down at her feet while she walked, trailing behind her other classmates. I remembered thinking how uncharacteristically quiet and subdued her behavior was. The ordeal struck me as odd, but I brushed it off. Besides, I was going to see her during lunch, and I could talk to her about it then. When lunch break rolled around, I spent it with my usual friend group, noticing that Ellie was not there. I asked my friends if they'd seen her, but nobody had. My other friend Chrissy was also looking for her, saying that she needed to finish the conversation she had with Ellie this morning. Because of this, we promised to search for her during the second break later. It wasn't uncommon for Ellie to skip lunch and spend time reading books in the library or sleeping in the infirmary, so we weren't too worried. I continued the school day as usual until the second break rolled around and Ellie was still nowhere to be seen. So, as promised, we went to look for her. We searched everywhere but still could not find her. We didn't stop until the break was over and we all had to split off to class. When the school day was finally over, our friend group gathered only to find Ellie still missing. We split into two groups. One half went to the lockers where we put our phones. Phones are not allowed during classes, even if they're turned off and can only be taken out once school is over. The other half went to search for Ellie in her class. I was in this group. When I got to Ellie's class, the teacher was sitting at the desk counting exam papers. We greeted the teacher before entering. There were still a couple of students left inside, packing their bags and cleaning the classroom. One of these students was Ellie's seatmate, and we went to ask him for Ellie's whereabouts. At first, he was shaking his head, shrugging, and saying he hadn't really paid attention. We pressed on, asking more about Ellie if she'd been acting strange all day, or if she'd perhaps been unwell and gone home early. The more we asked, though, the more Ellie's seatmate frowned, a strange expression creasing his eyebrows. Noticing the change in the air, I asked him if he was all right. He looked at me straight in the eyes and hesitantly said, I actually haven't seen Ellie at all today. I asked him what he meant by that. He was her seatmate, He had to have seen her, even if he wasn't paying much attention to her. He said, Someone was sitting beside me all day, but it wasn't Ellie. We were getting even more confused and frustrated. What do you mean? So someone else switched seats with her? Where was Ellie then? Then the teacher hailed for our attention. She gathered us by the table, giving each of us a stack of papers with exams to deliver to the teacher's lounge. We agreed to help, but I lingered behind to ask the teacher if anybody was absent during her period. She shook her head no, explaining all the exam papers were accounted for before pointing at the small board at the corner of the class. It was the attendance board. Usually at the start of the school day, the first period teacher would be tasked with taking attendance for the class. Anybody who wasn't at school that day would have their names written on the attendance board. The board was empty. Things kept getting stranger. When delivering the papers, our group made a pit stop. We sorted through the exams, searching for Ellie's name. That's when we found it. An exam with Ellie's name written in the top right corner like everyone else's. Except it looked off. The penmanship looked nothing like Ellie's signature beautiful cursive. Instead, it looked 
crumpled, messy, like a child's handwriting. What made it more strange was the paper itself. It was empty. No answers, no doodles on the corner of the paper. Even the multiple choice was left unanswered. I couldn't begin to guess what was going on with Ellie, and before long, the rest of our friends caught up with us. The first thing that I noticed was the expression on their faces, all full of confusion and mirroring me and my group. They said that they had called and talked to Ellie. I was relieved at first, but their faces continued to look the way they did. Chrissy looked especially freaked out. What's wrong? I asked her. Ellie was never at school today. She spent the entire day at the hospital because she's sick. Her mom was at her bedside the whole time. None of it made sense. They called Ellie's mother to confirm her story, which she did. I I really couldn't believe it. I could have sworn I saw Ellie that morning talking to Chrissy in the hallway and later on from the second story of the computer room. But... No, she was never there, and she had the hospital wristband to prove it. Days later, my friends and I exchanged strange glances, each of us trying to avoid talking about Ellie and the interactions we thought we had that day. When Ellie eventually recovered and went back to school, she did so with a smile, oblivious to what had happened. But eventually she caught on that something was up, so she asked us, We told her we'd talk to her during break. When the time came, we chose an empty class, sitting in a circle on the floor and facing one another. Each of us took turns speaking about our experiences that day, only to realize we didn't quite remember. The feeling of seeing Ellie remained intact, but the memory of it was all fuzzy. I remembered seeing Ellie that day, but her face was a mess. I couldn't quite remember what it looked like. Chrissy couldn't quite recall it either. She remembered talking to Ellie, but not remembering if Ellie had contributed to the conversation or not. We knew, but we couldn't quite remember. That was how it felt. But it didn't stop there. When sharing our story, we noticed the lights flickering above us. We ignored it at first, blaming the thunderstorm rearing its head behind the dark clouds. That's when lightning struck and the lights went out. We shouted and ran out of the room, only to find the lights in our classroom were the only ones that had gone out. Weird things started happening whenever we talked or referred to the entity that wasn't Ellie. I would get calls from my friends at odd hours of the night, and when I picked up, I was always greeted by the same question, Why did you call me? And I would answer with the same thing, I didn't, you called me. Every time I hung up from these calls, the logs would have no record of them ever happening. The only way I knew that they did was by confirming it with my friends on the other end of the line, face to face. Eventually, we agreed to stop talking about the incident, figuring that the strange things happening to us would cease if we did. And it worked. I have never had anything weird happen to me or my friends ever since. Years have passed, and I've always wondered what exactly it was me and my friends encountered that day, the entity that was wearing Ellie's face. It didn't seem to have a motivation like any ghosts or demons that I've ever heard of. If anything, it felt more like a weird pocket of space had opened up for this one instance, 
allowing this one thing to enter for a short period of time, taking Ellie's place in her absence. I never talked about the incident out loud, though, fearing the odd happenings would start up again. This is actually the first time I'm writing this story down and telling someone else outside of my group about it. I'm not going to lie. I was afraid of what would happen if I shared this story. But if anyone out there can help me, I just really want answers. One of the more commonly known theories surrounding doppelganger sightings is that when you see someone else's or your own, that it portends sickness or death. In this case, Ellie was actually sick when her friends were seeing her all over school. Many cultures believe that when we're sick, our soul has temporarily left our body. Maybe then these friends were seeing Ellie's wandering soul. It was serving as a warning for them to check in on their friend. Thanks for joining me today. Have you ever seen a doppelganger? Send me an email at storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. If you like what you heard and would like to support this independently run show, consider becoming a member of my Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash storieswithsapphire to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe to youtube.com slash sapphiresandalo, where I post animated spooky stories and more. Salamat and good night. Stories with Sapphire is created and produced by me, Sapphire Sandalo. Music written by Sapphire Sandalo. Special thanks to Mina, Francis, Natalie, and Jay. For more information on this episode, visit storieswithsapphire.com.